on today's episode of Business Lunch. As business owners, as entrepreneurs, at some point, the question we should be asking is, when does it make sense for me um, to invest and own media? And the answer is always. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Hey, Ryan Dice here. You know, it's been a while since I've run the day-to-day for Digital Marketer, the company that Roland and I are partners in. Fortunately, we have a great team and great partners who help us with all that nitty-gritty stuff now. But the one thing that we focused on while I was there and the one thing the team still focuses on to this day is optimizing everything. I'm talking testing everything from the sales copy to the color of the checkout button. Testing like this can have a huge impact on your bottom line, but the truth is it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And half the time we were just throwing stuff against the wall just to kind of see what stuck. But the good news is you don't have to figure everything out on your own anymore. And that's because our friends at Conversion Fanatics have optimized hundreds of sites in all types of industries from small startups to Fortune 500s. And now they can handle all your testing and optimization for you too. So if you feel stuck when it comes to optimizing your website, go and visit conversionfanatics.com and they'll give you a list of custom suggestions to optimize your site 100% free. Once again, you can find them at conversionfanatics.com. Hey everybody, Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice here. We want to welcome you to a new episode of Business Lunch Podcast. Ryan, how are you doing today? I am doing great, mi amigo. It was fun getting to hang out all all last week for those who who don't know. And frankly, I don't know how you would know. We basically had a week-long sleepover. It was great. It was like a slumber party. Yeah, we had some consulting days, some strategic planning days, some event out in uh, San Diego. And I used to stay at hotels. And then I realized that a hotel Frazier is one of the nicest uh, spots in all of Southern California. Right. Yeah, so now I just <laughs> now I just stay, stay at your house. So now it was good. It was good. It was get, good to get to hang out. It's it's always amazing how much work we can get done when we're in the same room. We're face to face. I felt like we got like a year's worth of work done in two days. Yeah, and and I think I mean we basically created a whole new business and a framework and an outline for a course and content will be easy flowing from that, which is pretty cool. Like in a day, we created an offer in a day. Like those things are amazing to me. When you have the right collaborating partner, you can do that. And it's hard to find people that you can do that with because I mean, in a normal circumstance, I think generally to create one person kind of gets something and then it's an editing process, but somehow we seem to manage to riff off of each other and not step on ideas and improve things, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm really excited about we kind of created, and so this is a plug for future episodes, right? Because we talked yeah. about, oh, we need to do some episodes on this, but we really created a framework around what does it mean to be an investor if you're also an entrepreneur, like this, entre- this, this new class of entrepreneurial in, you know, investor, because it's different, right? Entrepreneurs are different. And all yeah. too often we're, we're told if we sell our company or whatever, that we need to start acting normal and do all the normal stuff. And neither you or, nor I subscribe to that, but we didn't really have a this is what you should do. And that's the thing that we were finally able to put our heads together on because while how we implement it may be a little bit different, our philosophies we found were really aligned. And, and so yeah. we're going to be talking more about that maybe in the next, next few uh, episodes. 
Yeah. And even, even something that might be interesting there would be like the incorrect or, or the incomplete creation process of it's like, it's okay. We're going to put this down. Like we put weird category titles. We're like, we know we need three things here, but we're going to call it, you know, these stupid names until we get there and that you're okay. And you're not overwhelmed by the tyranny of having to have it all perfect to start with like that imperfect creation, I think that then allows you to go back and edit and revise and have a conversation about it. But you get that initial skeletal structure together. That's, that'd be probably something interesting to talk about at some point as well. Yeah. So if you want to hear us talk about that, maybe, uh, let us know. However, whether it's in the uh, comments where you're leaving us or, those fun five-star reviews. Or, or subscribe, and mm. then when we do talk about it, you won't miss it. So Bango. that's kind of a cool thing. Bango. One of the things that I was going to ask you about, because I know that you have lots of thoughts on these types of topics, is that Elon Musk, I think he got a 9.2% stake in Twitter and just filed. I think the filing just hit today. So um, what do you think he's doing? What do you think about that? And let's, let's talk about the business case for doing that, or is it business or personal? Because I know he had been a bit of a critic of some of the things that were going on there. What, what's your what's your take on what's, what's going on and why he might be doing that? Yeah, Elon is a, is a funny character because, you know, it, let, let, so his investment was about $3 billion, right? He got about 10% of Twitter, you know, Twitter's market caps, about 30 billion. I think it was 2.5 when he bought it. And then on his announcement, it went till 3.2. <laughs> it's like, that's a pretty, that's it. You move your own market. That's pretty good. And what is 3 billion to Elon, right? I mean, he's got to be, he's yeah. worth like, he's, I mean, he's the richest man in the world. 288 288 as of today. All right. So that's pocket lint. That's what a normal person would tip a valet, right? So he's, he's yeah. going to be okay. It's like he might walk past that on the street and see it there and go, Eh, it's not really worth it. It's not really worth it. Not really worth it. So it, I'm not going to pick that up. It's I'm just going to go on. Yeah, it's hard to tell with him, like because he's just kind of I don't say snarky enough, but I could see him doing something just to you know it's three billion dollars is worth the joke, you know right? Like like I'm going to do this kind of you know for the joke or just to show people like hey I'm not messing around because if you follow Elon on Twitter he's been very critical and even putting out these polls on Twitter basically saying like do you feel like Twitter is edit- editorializing? Uh, too much. So on yeah. on one hand, you know, I do think that he feels, you know, very strongly. I'm not going to try to ascribe any kind of, you know, political, you know, affiliations uh, to Elon Musk, but I think it's safe to say that he's fairly libertarian, you know, in his leanings. He's he's more pro speech than, you know, than not. I like that he he said because he came out against the censorship of the Russian propaganda channels because he said free speech trumps that misinformation. And yeah. that's an interesting argument. Yeah. And funny enough, it's an argument. And again, I, we are not a political show. And I know, Roland, you and I are fairly, I don't want to say apolitical, but you know, we're, we're kind of like, all right, we think all of you are clowns, but just tell us whatever the system is. Like, we'll fine. But adapt. Yeah, we will adapt. But we we don't think any of you are actually sincere. That, that being said, yeah. I mean, that is also what the ACLU used to say. So the American Civil Liberties Union, which is considered this hyper-liberal organization. They, they sue everybody. They, yeah. They, I mean, they sue everybody, but for free speech. And 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 so you would think that might be quote-unquote left-leaning. And yet you have somebody who would be quote-unquote, you know, hyper-right-leaning agreeing that, you know, maybe this is a, you know, this, this is a problem. Now, again, 
this is probably not in the forum. We could have a discussion about the value of free speech. I, for one, am pro yeah, let, free speech. Let's talk the business yeah, case. Yeah, let's talk the, the business bi- So the business case is, you know, again, uh, I think on one hand, let, let's let's give him the, I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume that he's doing this for, you know, for business reasons, which he may or may not be. I think it's instructive that when certain business people get hyper successful, they would go and they would buy a newspaper or they would buy a magazine. You know, Jeff Bezos did it with the Washington Post. So this is yep. not a new playbook. And if, if that's what Elon Musk is doing, then I think it, you know, it says a couple of things. Number one, it's an acknowledgement that's social and Twitter in particular, this is the new news. I mean, that was the whole, the old adage used to be never pick a fight with anyone who buys ink by the barrel, right? In other words, don't pick yep. a fight with a newspaper man because they're going to print all yep. this stuff about you. They own the media. They own the opinion. I would add, don't pick a fight with anyone who owns a jail or an army. Just, just saying. This is the type of uh, advice and wisdom you can't get just anywhere, folks. So yeah, yes, anybody who stuff. can essentially take your liberties from you, right? Which obviously governments can, people with jails and missiles can. But to a certain extent, the press has been able to do that as well. We've seen a lot with cancel culture and things like that. And, and so I think what what Elon Musk is seeing is that you know there is an opportunity here and it doesn't cost him that much money to own one of the most important news channels. And, and maybe you want to throw up the air quotes and say, well, that's not really news. But the reality is, is that's where people go. I mean, think about Donald Trump and, and how he leveraged that channel and, and how devastating it, it, it was uh, to him when he was removed and canceled from that channel. And what yeah. his next action has been, which was to create his own social channel. That's what they're working on right now. And I think Elon rightfully said, Hey, I don't care how big your platform is. That's hard. Creating a channel is hard. That is so brutally difficult. It seems like it's just a natural outgrowth of what he was saying, because he was saying, I've been flirting with starting a social media channel. And then I think he probably, because he's a smart guy, he was like, can I do that? He's that first principles reasoning, right? Should I, should I, should I, is there a battery that I can create that creates the, you know, this whole new industry that's cheaper? And then he probably looked at it and said, these guys already have such momentum with a few tweaks to management and the ability to to get your word out there uncensored. It could be huge. And so it's just as a business case, I think its market cap is $31.5 billion. His investment got him just under 10%. He's got almost a $300 billion net worth. He, you know, hooking up with private equity and fans, I think he could, he easily grab control of that. And, and you're right. And that now he basically owns the new news network and man, that guy's got the personality to drive it too. Yeah, From a business case, it sounds a whole lot like I'm guessing that Elon invested and went through under a pseudonym, your Epic training. Probably did. I get a lot, a lot of the richest people in the world, I think are doing, I think that's my personal belief. But like speaking to the politics of it, we'll leave that to somebody else. Uh, speaking to, is it a good thing, right? Is it a good thing for these channels to be closely held by a handful of wealthy controlling individuals? Again, um, speak to that. From a business case, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, at some point, the question we should be asking is, when does it make sense for me um, to invest and own media? And the answer is always, right? It, that is something that you should, once you have a proof of concept on a on a monetization vehicle, you should then always seek to own your own media. The simplest way to do that is with an email list, 
right? What you and I are doing right now, this podcast is us, you know, to, to a certain degree owning this media. It's obviously dependent upon certain channels, but at least the core asset we have it. And at, at a larger level, you own the entire distribution network, the entire distribution channel. And that's simply what, what he's saying. But this is something that you can create, which is really hard to do, right? We were talking before we didn't press play today. This is hard. Like creating media is hard. Creating media channels is like 100x harder. So same thing that you always teach, just see if you can buy it, you know? And, and he bought it at, you know, not a, not a no money out of pocket type thing, but he bought it, like you said, in day one, he made money on it, right? He added value to it. He made money on it. So all Elon is doing is what you tell everybody to do as business owners and entrepreneurs. So I just want to give you all the credit. Easier to buy than it is to create, always. I'm waiting for the day um, when Elon issues the, the press release thanking yeah. Roland Frazier uh, for the idea yeah. to buy Twitter. And, and I mean, they say that the longer you wait, the more you appreciate something. So I don't want him to do it. And if he's listening. Yeah, and we know he is. He is, you know? yeah, obviously. Yeah, don't, don't, don't thank me, like, for a long time, you know? <laughs> right. I, I know. I know, I know you appreciate it yeah. now. So let, let's talk about like, how do you do that? So step one, buy Facebook, Twitter, meta, uh, whatever that's hard. So as far as acquiring media, what, what do you think Ryan, somebody should be looking for to find, let, let's define the kinds of media that somebody might think about buying and why that would make sense and something that pretty much any business could do so that we bring this down from the Elon level to, to what most people who are listening or watching could handle. Sure. I mean, something that we've done in the past is we've acquired email newsletters and, you know, web properties, blogs, things like that. Because again, it usually, uh, media is undervalued and under monetized. So most traditional media monetizes through advertising, which is like a really bad, if you're all by itself, monetization vehicle. Not always. I mean, sometimes it can be great, but like I've got a buddy of mine, Sam Parr, who started an email newsletter called The Hustle. And he sold that to HubSpot for a lot of money. Now HubSpot was happy to buy that email newsletter because it had a couple million subscribers that were, you know, ideal. And, and, and so one of the first, and they were already looking to advertise on that. So when we've done this in the past, we've said, you know, what are the email newsletters? What are the lists? What are maybe some of your better affiliates? who we know they're already effectively monetizing what we're selling. Well, maybe we should just look to acquire them. So it could be an email newsletter, yeah. it could be a blog. You've been really successful, not, and a lot of people don't know you can do this, but you can actually acquire Facebook groups and you can acquire yeah. different social channels. Yeah, I, I think the first place that I would say that you should think about things is, is there is media that you will completely own and control and then there is media that you will have access to traffic that already exists from another platform and that you won't own, but you may control. And that's an important distinction because if you own your website, you mentioned, or you own a newsletter, that's media that you own and control. You control the platform of the media that it might be dependent on a tech distribution platform, like maybe you're going through AWS to host it or something like that, but you basically control it. Nobody gets to censor you ever and you get complete ownership of it. That means you can sell it. 
you can transfer it, you can bring other people in, you can get sponsors, all that kind of stuff. The other kind of media would be one that would be platform dependent. So you have a blog on wordpress.com, which I did, and you get banned, which I did with no due process or ability to fight for yourself. You just basically, they say, we decided we don't like you. And so you're shut down. And I know so many people that happened to, which completely runs afoul of our whole constitution here in the United States. Anyway, where you're supposed to get the ability to face the people who are taking a right away from you, but that kind of doesn't exist in the tech world somehow. I don't know how, but it doesn't. <laughs> so then you get to, you know, you're Trump and you're putting out information on Facebook and Facebook says, we don't like what you're doing or Twitter. We don't like what you're doing. And so, because we believe we have a fiduciary responsibility to the public to ensure that what's delivered is true, even though truth is, you know, anybody's guess what it is, we're going to make decisions, which becomes very dangerous and constitutionally content-based discrimination for media is generally not constitutional unless there are certain exceptions. Now, that's a dangerous path to go down. And so I, I think what Musk says and what the Constitution says is, hey, we have to be okay with erroneous content. And the public has to be able to discern whether it's good or bad rather than setting up these arbiters. So when we get to this kind of media, now you're in a Facebook group or you've got a Twitter account or a YouTube account, you have that media but you neither own it, nor do you ultimately control it. You are an administrator. And so you can, as long as they're okay with what you're doing, you can control it. So I like, I would argue that it's important to think about the benefits and detriments of each of those two types of media and say, I want media that I own and control, like my email list that I can take to any other email service provider. If Infusionsoft throws me in email jail too many times, I'll go to Active Campaign or, you know, SendGrid or somebody else. But if if I acquire a Facebook group and Facebook decides they don't like what we're doing, then it's gone and good luck ever getting it back. So I think that's a decision to make. And then it's like, okay, now both of those are probably good because one, you're 100% responsible for generating the traffic for, and the other generates traffic for you. And ideally you're taking them off and converting them over to the media you own. And so I think that's a very, very important threshold decision and that both are important. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was going to ask, so, cause you almost, with the setup, I could see somebody saying, okay, so I should never acquire a media property that is a Facebook group that it, you know, might be a YouTube channel or something like that. But I know for a fact we've done that in the past. I mean, we've, yep. we've done deals with Facebook groups. So, and why? Yeah. Why would we do that knowing that risk? Yeah, we would do that knowing that that risk because it still has all of our people there. They, it is still aggregated, the people that we want. Now, would yeah. we pay as much for, you know, for a Facebook group as we would for a, you know, a, let's say a community on an independent platform with an, you know, with an email list to go with it? No, yep. nowhere near as much. Right. Could be and half that's as it. much that's or a tenth a, as me, much but everything has a price. So beautifully said. And just everything's got a price. And so there's going to be some kind of discount for that platform risk. So the platform risk exists, whether you're creating on there from scratch or whether you're doing an acquisition from yep. scratch. And so you just got to know that platform risk is at play, but there's risk in any business. There's risk in any acquisition. And so yep. all the risk, you, you bring that risk into the calculus and you say, okay, based on this risk, we're going to apply this valuation to it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And that's why usually, yeah. you know, when we're doing deals on Facebook groups, it's 
they're cheap generally. I mean, they're they're a pretty good deal comparatively speaking. Yeah, and just just to give people a guideline, it's like whereas an independent media that you own and control is going to be a multiple of earnings typically. The Facebook group, social, the, those platform dependent things that you don't actually own, you administer because Facebook or YouTube or Twitter ultimately owns the property right. that's there. So that's why they can do whatever they want with it. You're just kind of renting it, right? For free. You're not paying anything to rent it, but you are, you're paying your blood, sweat and tears to create the content that then could go away in an instant. So those we typically offer one times the trailing 12 months profit on something like that. And many times there's no profit at all. And so we'll typically start around between $1,500 and $5,000. And unless we can, I mean, I think this is the thing too. And Ryan, you said it so well, is that it's all about risk. All pricing is based on risk. And so because there's such substantial risk that that could go away that on the platform-based media, it makes sense that we want to get our risk down to almost nothing to where we can really pay for it within a matter of a few months. And that I think is the major difference. And we want both of them because like you said, they've aggregated the attention and eyeballs of our ideal customer. And if it's on Instagram or TikTok or wherever, there's a lot of discovery benefit that we're getting traffic just because it's the platform. Whereas if we buy that newsletter, the only traffic we're gonna get is people that know about the newsletter, people that tell other people about it and the ads that we run to create it. And it's way harder to build that. So the sweet, sweet spot, I think, is that you're aggregating both and you're, and I know, you know, you do this really well, you're doing your best to get the people off of that one that is platform dependent over to your other so that you get them both places. And then that reduces the risk and increases the value of, of the one that you actually own. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and so the answer is, you would like to have all of them. And that's why if you can own the entire channel, well, you get all of them. And that's why Twitter, you know, is worth 30 billion and somebody's, you know, schnauzer Facebook, Facebook group is, is going to be worth, you know, 300 bucks. bucks. Yeah. So that yeah. is the thing, but it, it's always a calculus of, you know, what do I believe? What can I do within the first 30 to 60 days to ROI this investment? And if the answer is, gosh, I don't know, probably not a good buy. Right. Probably but if you look at it ever. and you go, really? yeah, ever, ever. Right. But if you look at it and go, you know, I feel really, really good about the fact that if we were to do this launch, roll this thing out, also, you know, tell everybody they get a free subscription to the newsletter, all these things combined, you know, we feel pretty confident that we can ROI this investment within the first 30, 60, 90, 12 months. Right. That's yep. kind of about as far out as we would go on something like that. So just something to keep in mind. I, I do want to say before we move on, because I've got a question um, for you. But I could hear, I can almost hear people come through, through, you know, the speakers yelling at us saying, but you're not allowed. I know Facebook's terms of service. You're not allowed to buy a Facebook group because the yep. person doesn't technically own it. So can you kind of speak to just how that works structurally and from a entity type standpoint, yes. if somebody did want to do a deal with somebody on a Facebook group or an Instagram channel, any of the social channels where it's not technically theirs. Yes, it's a, it's a really great question. And that's why we go out of our way to say that there's media that you own and control, and then there's media that you don't own and you don't really control, even though you are kind of in charge of it. So the, the difference is that um, 
you don't own the the ones that are on Facebook and Google and um, excuse me and uh, YouTube and all of those. They own that platform. So what we do is we acquire administrative control. So what we're buying, what we're paying for, whenever we you know, quote unquote, acquire a group, we're talking about acquiring the ability to run it. And I don't even call that control because you're still at the whims of the social media gods as to what you can and can't do. Right. So, so it's, it is that we are acquiring administrative control. And so think about it as buying a job. What you're really doing is you're buying the job of administrator for you or the people that work for you to run as long as it's within the terms, which are very, very amorphous of the social media platform that actually does ultimately own it. Now that can still equate to being pretty much ownership. It's just that the risk of losing it is pretty high. And so that's why we pay less for it. Because you, if you run the German shepherd group that has a hundred and some thousand members, you are pretty much in control of the messaging as long as it is in compliance in the eyes of the platform that owns it. So that's, to me, that's the big difference. That's what we're acquiring there. We know we're not acquiring ownership, but we are acquiring the right to run it. And very often we're simply acquiring the right to run it as an administrator while taking the person who was running it and letting them continue to do what they did. Only messaging includes messaging about our stuff, right? And that can generate hundreds of sales a, a week, right? It can be very, very advantageous because that is your ideal customer. So I think, I think that's the, that's the distinction. I agree. So thank you. Thank you, Elon, for again, the fabulous testimonial for yes. our epic accelerator where uh, Roland, uh, you teach everybody how to do that. And if, and if somebody just, and I'm throwing this out there again, only because this was Elon's idea, right? Um, yeah. We're still going to get sued. Anyway, I think everybody knows we're joking. This is enough over the top, but if somebody did want to know how to do that, a shameless plug, how would they, how could they sign up for, for the challenge and learn about that method? You can message me anywhere forward slash Roland Frazier, or you can go to getepicchallenge.com where we basically show people how to do this kind of stuff. It's a five-day challenge, $55, but the program is uh, one we would normally charge a couple thousand dollars for, but we've had, I think about 20,000 people go through that thing now. It's been fun. And every day get messages from people about the deals they've done with, with little or no money out of pockets. It's so that's pretty fun. So yeah, if you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely worth checking out. If you're interested in acquiring media, if you're interested in acquiring companies, that is a great place to go to do that. And we don't know whether or not Elon Musk was one of those 20,000, but yeah, he could have been. neither confirm nor deny. Nor deny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. So well, let's take a break for a second and then, and come back and talk about something else. How about that? Sounds good. Hey, Business Touch listeners, we're going to get right back to the show. But Roland wanted me to invite you to a brand new training that he's doing on acquiring businesses with no money out of pocket. It's something that he's talked quite a bit about on the show, but he's doing a free training where he's going to walk through the entire process. So if you want to get access to that, go to businesslunchpodcast.com slash epic. That's businesslunchpodcast.com slash epic, and you can get signed up. Okay, we taken a break, and now we're back. So it's, that's an advertising-friendly break if I've ever heard of one. So uh, what else should we talk about today? Yeah, so think? as I mentioned at the top of the show, you and I got to hang out. I mean, for those who don't know, Roland is in Southern California in the uh, San Diego area. I am in Austin, Texas. So while we get to talk and 
do the podcast together. We don't actually get to hang out in person. As much so as we, we had a like. five day pajama party, we, we did. but we did not have pajamas. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, I didn't clothed. know you were going to tell all of our, so yeah, we did. We were fully clothed. So no, but we did. I mean, so when I'm out there, you know, again, as opposed to staying in the uh, hotels, happy to, to crash at uh, your place, beautiful home. Uh, you always bring out your awesome chef, Adam, to come and cook for us. A wine cellar that I don't believe any hotel in California or Texas could compete with. So there really isn't a better a better place to stay. But the thing that I'm always amazed by, aside from just the you know, the general awesomeness of your day-to-day existence is just how, and I think a lot of it's because you don't have four kids that think it's their job to destroy everything. Right. I only have two kids that think that way. They moved though. They don't even live there. I've got four that they think it's their job to take stuff that was in one place and move it to another and then destroy it. But for you- The game is much more sophisticated as they get older, but it's still a foot. It's still there. So the thing that I'm always amazed with uh, with you is how- the term balance is thrown around a lot. I don't really like that term as much because it kind of suggests this is perfect Zen-like state. But yeah. I guess maybe what I would say is you're very intentional with your with your lifestyle and you're very intentional with the projects that you take on and, and the things that that you say no to. And and kind of one of, I was gonna ask, but we were kind of on business topics, but like, what is that for you? You know, because I mean, there are plenty of things that, that you and I were talking about. You're like, yeah, no, I don't think so. And it was like, okay, and we moved on to the next thing. But for you, you know, what is that? Do you have a framework for saying yes to some things and, and no to others? What What is that kind of process? So it's a, it's a combination of Steve Jobs, Mark Anthony Bates, something that you said the other day, and, uh, and then just a, a time filter. But I'll start with Mark's because it, it's a great framework and he calls it PFM and it's so great because it's very simple and it's easy to, to remember those initials, but people are first. The people in the deal have to be people that I want to deal with, that I'm interested in, that I think will help me grow as a business person or as a person or both that, that I could see hanging out with on a social basis. I don't want to just be in, I don't want to be in business with people that I only want to be in business with them because they're business people, right? not for the opportunity. The next thing is the F in PFM is fun. And it's got to be fun. I, I'm, you know, we were talking about this. It's like kind of, we're good, right? We don't really have to do anything. I mean, we're set. So if it's not fun, then why would we do it? If it's not with people that we like, why would we do it? Now, then the last thing is you could stop at PNF, but for business, if it's truly business, there needs to be an ROI. And that ROI can be social or it could be monetary. But I think in this analysis, I always run it through a monetary. And so it's like, will it also make money? And then the money thing is going to be, is it money that can move the needle? Because if it's not, I don't need another thing to do. And you don't either, right? So if it's not going to like up level in some way, like the the place that I am or the place that I want to go financially, it's not going to happen. So that's like the first filter. Yeah. Can I speak to that? Like what I love about that so much, people fund money, right? I, when I think about all the projects that I've taken on that made sense in the moment and wound up being a horrific mistake, it's because I was missing one or two of those, right? There's times when I've taken on projects because I was, I, I was really excited about the people we were working with. You know, even going back to one of the first businesses that I started in college, 
right? I started a business in college with my college roommate because we were buddies, right? Yeah. Now the business itself, not fun at all. I wasn't interested in it at all. And it made no money. And in retrospect, had no ability to make any money, right? I mean, it right. was like the dumbest business, but it was like, oh, let's do it because the people. There's been other times where I've been like, oh, that would be fun, right? It would, yeah, it'd be fun to own a restaurant with these people, right. but oh crap, it's not right. going to make any money. And there's no way to do that. Right. The worst right. ones though. And I think that this is something that I would encourage and why all three are important, but I think the absolute, the ones where I made the biggest mistake is when I thought it was going to make a lot of money and I knowingly and intentionally sacrificed on the first two. Yeah. Same here. hundred percent. Those are the worst ones that I've regretted the most. Because if you get into a business that, you know, great people and it's a lot of fun, doesn't make money, you go, God dang, it didn't work out, but hey, we had some fun, you know? And we're still friends. And we're still friends, right? But right. when you get into a business where you know, these are not the kind of people I really want to work with. We're not aligned from a values perspective. And, and furthermore, you do work that is not the kind of work that, that's in your kind of native genius. But, and all you're doing is chasing the dollar those have been the most miserable ones of all. So I would just say like that framework, that people fund money is big, but don't let any one of them trump, you know, be like, well, there's so much money here that I could sacrifice on one or more of the others. No, you can't. You can't. You, you will ultimately pay a price for that that is greater than you believe it will be. It, it, it's just not going to work out. If, if the other things aren't there, it's just not going to ultimately work out long-term. If you're and, a long-term person. What do you say about how often uh, the opportunity of a lifetime comes along. Yeah. Once in a lifetime opportunity comes along three or four times a year. It just does. And and so yeah. when and you, if you take that, that big M and you sacrifice the P and the F, what you don't know, not only are you saying yes to misery, but you're saying you're potentially saying no to other quote unquote opportunities of a lifetime. Right. Cause you'll, you'll, you'll be too full, right? Maybe even too full to see the opportunity that that exists. Then that's, that's very, very, scary, I think. And, and the other, the other thing that I think really helped me a long time ago is I heard Steve Jobs say that it's very easy to drown in opportunity. And, and I think that when you get, like when you're starting out, especially if you're thinking about like buying businesses or getting into business and what's the thing I'm going to do and all it's, it feels like there is no opportunity. It feels like, well, how, I remember for the longest time I was like, I want to start a business. And I, I would go to the guru-y type people and I'd be like, how do you do? They're like, find a need and fill it. I'm like, how do I find a need? All the needs have been filled. Now, this is a very, now I can say that and think that's really naive to say, like the guy that said we should close the patent office, I think in the 17th century, because all, everything that could possibly be invented had been invented. But, but I do think it's very easy to think about that, right? It's, you get in that, well, I, I just don't know how to do that. So how would I ever do that? Well, the, the truth is, is that so many things are imperfect and no matter where you are, whether you're Elon Musk saying I can make Twitter better, you know, or you're just you saying this particular product or service that I've just used could be so much better if only they would, right? Well, now you've got that opportunity, but eventually as you start to see that and you get experience and network, you have so many opportunities coming out. You constantly, I mean, I, I think we, we have, I would hesitate to say, I would not hesitate to say we have an opportunity a day that gets thrown at us, right? That's 300 and some opportunities a year, but it's probably more than that. And so you couldn't possibly do all those. And many of them sound really good. The PFM filter is a good way to start that. The second is to say, I have to be careful not to drown in opportunity. So I think to say, 
I am going to limit myself to a certain number of opportunities a year. And keep in mind, no, no rule is hard and fast, but as a guideline, if you say I'm looking for three to five opportunities a year to do, to acquire a business or uh, one opportunity a year that will have a needle moving effect on the, the three things I care about that people fund money, that can be a very good guideline to help you not drown in opportunity so that you are available for those once in a lifetime ones. And the other corollary to that is that don't, that don't actually say no, because no means never, but not now means that currently I am either full or I'm waiting for something better. And so I'm going to say not now. And if that opportunity ultimately goes away because my not now leads to people doing other things, that's fine. Good for them. I don't want to hold them up, but it does make me feel good that I didn't just leave this opportunity and cut off all possibility of doing. That makes sense. Yeah. It's such a good point. And I'll tell you, you know, as someone who, you know, I'm a people pleaser, it's really hard for me to say no. And so it's one thing if you're saying, you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, can I pick your brain? Oh, can I take you to coffee? You know, can, can I get your advice on this? That at some point you've got to learn to, to, to cut that off or you'll never get any of your own work done or like spend any time with the people you care about. That's bad enough. So, so that is also though a perfect not now opportunity because though, because the way to me, the, the presentation there is our consulting for equity play, right? Which is, is, can I take you to coffee? Can I do all these things? Not now. I only have the time right now to do that with my paying clients. If you would like to be one, then I, I have time, but right now I don't have time for those. So you're, you're not even saying you're not important enough or successful enough or any, or I'm too you know big a deal or whatever. You still make an available slot. It's just, it's a paid slot. And you say, but if I do ever have free time, I'm happy to talk to you. I just don't have any right now. Okay. I just, I like, because what you said yeah. to me was perfect there. So I just wanted to point out that that is a not now opportunity as well. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and this applies the, the not now, and, and it's not just kicking the can. It's not just a brush off. I mean, look, if, if somebody presents an idea that is just truly, you know, a horrific idea that, you know, that for a fact you would never do, you know, Hey, I, like I, I want to start a, you know, a dog fighting thing. It's like, you know what? Um, never. Cause that's just evil. Yeah. But truly, if it's the kind of thing where you're like, that's a good idea. I want to say yes, because I love opportunities. Like if you know you're an opportunity junkie, like we are, and you have such a hard time, you know, you know that by bending down and picking up that, that dime, that that means you're going to miss that dollar that's further down. And yet you just can't help yourself. You want to pick up the dime. Then the best thing to do is be like, love you dime, mean it, not now. I don't have time. I, I got a place yeah. to go. So it's not that you're not valuable. Yeah. You're definitely worth 10 cents. I just don't yeah. have the time. And that is something that right. can help you if you're an entrepreneur, you know, maybe you've got a team member that wants to, it comes to you with an idea or a pet project that they want to implement, you know, love the idea. It's possible to validate someone in their idea, but to, to at the same time acknowledge that the timing isn't right for you. And just to be like, oh, love it. I think it's great. Here's why I can't. And it's not that I won't. And it's not that I don't want to. It's I can't right now. That gave me, right. when you told me that, that gave me so much freedom. Cause it, it does feel bad. You know, you yeah. feel bad saying it to the person, but you also feel bad to yourself saying like, did I just permanently shut this door? When you say, Oh, not now you're saying maybe it will come back around. You said a version when we were talking the other day, cause I was talking about uh, several, several projects and you said a version of the, that if you pick up a dime, you might miss the dollar 
And it was basically something along the lines of that you're going to eventually just get completely exhausted and worn out if you, if you stop to pick up every nickel. I think that's what, what you yeah. said. And I, I think that's important to think about too, is, you know, we all have, I, I continue to suffer from the myth of unlimited capacity <laughs> and which means, you know, ah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. You know, oh, you can't do that. I'll take care of that because I'm very passionate about all the things I'm involved with and the people I'm involved in. And I like the new also, but it is important that you can easily burn yourself out. And that's, that's something to be aware of. Do you have a framework for that? Like, cause I know you're very good at saying that's my personal time. And so not even for that half million dollars I can make on that day. Am yeah. I willing to do that? Yeah. So what um, my wife and I do between Christmas and New Year, every year we sit down with a calendar and she gets first dibs. And so it's like, we're blocking off this week for a family vacation. Where are we going? I don't know yet, but block it off. You know, and we know yeah. that we're going to do this. So it, it's kind of the, you know, the, the, the rocks, pebbles, sand analogy. Like you want to put the, the big rocks in first and then the pebbles yep. can go in around that and then last the sand. And so you've got to, dis to decide not just what are your business rocks, but what are your personal rocks that are going to be there for you? And so I, I get out a, a big, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a sheet that has all every month represented on one sheet, right? You can buy these, you can go online, the, you know, basic 12 month calendar, all the days. And so we'll go in and just block all of those off. And so if something is on that, comes in on that time, I mean, business or not, I mean, you, you know, we've got an opportunity to go and have a pretty phenomenal wine experience at a place that, you know, I want to go. And it's like, I can't because it's already been blocked yeah. off with a family trip. And so that's, that's what we do. And I know if my wife and our family has first dibs, then I am, that's aligned with what I've determined my priority should be, right? So my priority yeah. should be, you know, my family. If you mean that, then let it have first dibs on your calendar. It should have first dibs in your yeah. wallet. You know, that's yeah. where it needs to go. So go ahead and out pre-spend yeah. that time. And then it's just, I can't, it's not even a negotiation. It's, I can't, it's already yeah. booked. So that's what we do. Yeah. And, and what it's funny what you said about deciding ahead of time, the number of projects. I actually did that in 2021. I said, I'm going to take on six because I did. I looked at the yeah. previous year. I had attempted 30 and completed almost none of them. <laughs> I did. I, I made it the outset. Like, yeah. what are the big projects? What do I want to get done this year? And I created this like massive to-do list. And I think out of the 30 something, I'd only completed two of them and then added a bunch more. I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. So I said, I'm only <laughs> going to do six and I can't start more than three per quarter. And so... Yeah. Like what that told me is that I'm agreeing ahead of time. Some of these are going to take longer than a quarter. I can't yeah. have too many at the same time, but I need to hold some over for the end of the year because when I'm out, I'm yeah. out. And yeah. that was really effective. And it just hit me that when you said what you said, I didn't do that this last year and I should have. So it's it, arbitrary it makes a difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it really does. And also, I think that I'm just thinking about it now based on what you said, and, and it's something you and I have talked a lot about is can your business handle the things that you're going to start the project? Because one challenge that, that we have is that we're blessed to be prolific creators of content and courses and products and things like that. And I think that particularly combined, we can way out create the ability of the infrastructure and the, and the team to be able to deploy the things that get created. So 
it probably doesn't make sense to create. Like if you run a filter when you guys are thinking about what you're going to do and say, well, I want to create these five products, let's say, can you launch them all? Yeah. Can, can the, can the list handle it? Is there advertising capability for it? Do your, does your team capable of building out all the stuff that has to be built out for that? Because if not, and we did this when we were talking about Epic Network, it's like, we have a roadmap that's got a list of a lot of other things on it that we can do, but we're not doing them now, even though we could, because if we did, it'd be wasting our time that we could be spending things that can be productive faster because they aren't limited by the constraints of that particular company. So if you're a multi, like if you're a portfolio person thinking about what can I do reasonably in this portfolio and don't take on more things than can happen in the current year to start because they're just going to be wasted because they'll be sitting there gathering dust and you could have been doing something that either would help your family or that would be a give back or that might feed some other business that you've got that does have that capacity. Or that might just be rest. Just I be don't know. Restful. I, I'm sorry, this word you speak of. What, never what heard this. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that's a very important thing. So that's cool. I love the PFM, the people fund money. I think that's big deciding ahead of time, you know, how many projects, big projects are you going to, are you going to take on and, and maybe blocking out those things at the, you know, before the year even starts, make sure you carve out that truly critical time. Whatever you've decided is a priority. It could be, you just want to be a better golfer, right? Or something like that. Whatever it yep. is for you, maybe hate your family. Don't want to spend any time with them. We're not here to tell you what it should be, but whatever you've determined is your priority, budget it in ahead of time. Tell your, tell your time. Make where it to go. intentional. Yeah, yeah. At least make it intentional. Cool. Awesome. I think that's it for this, this particular topic. I got my question answered. And so that's all that matters to me. This is selfish yeah, time with Ryan and Roland. I like it. I like it. The selfish edition podcast, business lunch, the selfish edition. <laughs> so uh, if you guys enjoyed today's podcast, please take the time to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And also please shoot us those five-star reviews. We really appreciate that. It helps other people to see that we got some cool stuff here to share as well. And Ryan, is there any other resource or place that you would like to tell people about today before we sign off? We just released at the Scalable Company a brand new flagship training. And so if it, it is, you know, we did a couple episodes on the seven levels of scale. And so we actually produced a course all about how to essentially get from wherever you are right now to level seven, which is where you're hitting your number, achieving kind of your version of the entrepreneurial dream. So it provides a step-by-step -step for scaling your company, which to my knowledge hasn't really existed. We certainly didn't find one. So scalable.co uh, forward slash seven levels, scalable.co forward slash seven levels. You can find out we got a special run right now. It's actually oddly inexpensive. I was kind of surprised. Is that a forward when, slash seven number or seven written out or either one gets Seven the number, but I'm going to make sure that, that either one of them gets there. So... Now that we think about it. Yeah, yes. now that I think about <laughs> I it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, so the number I think is right now the number seven levels of scalable.co forward slash seven levels. Go ahead and check that out. Literally priced where any business, I don't care if you've just made a single sale, you can, uh, you can afford it and it's well worth uh, the investment. Get that roadmap, right? Get that roadmap. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you. We will see you next time on Business Lunch. You've been listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. And for more information, go to businesslunchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.
What if three days could change the course of your business in 2023? Get Scalable Live is where you'll gain great clarity on the next steps that will help you create the business, life, and wealth you deserve. Connect with business owners and entrepreneurs just like you, hungry for advice, proven strategies, and necessary connections to grow a business. Literally, million-dollar conversations are happening in the hallways, in the bathrooms, across tables. Get Scalable Live at Fairmont Austin, November 2nd through 4th. Tickets are on sale now at GetScalableLive.com.